Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 71, the stanzas 3, 9, and 10. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we confess and believe that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. However, we have a lot of questions concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. When exactly did we receive the Holy Spirit? Did that happen already at the time of our baptism? Or does that happen at a particular time in your life when you can say that you have come to faith? Or is it when you have been born again? And further, do we really have the full measure of the Holy Spirit? Or are we lagging behind with others in that regard? Does the fact that we have the Holy Spirit not have to show more in our lives? Should we not be more like those people who openly speak about the work of the Holy Spirit within them? Should we not in this church, for example, have people come to the front and give their testimonial as to how the Holy Spirit is working in their lives? Is that what we should require from our young people? But... If you want to speak about the work of the Holy Spirit, then you cannot separate his work from the work of the other two persons of the Trinity, especially not from the work of Christ. For it is the Holy Spirit who applies to us the work of Christ. He makes the work, the works of Christ our own. And note well that the composers of the Heidelberg Catechism have that in mind as well. This Lord's Day makes Christ central in the work of the Holy Spirit. In answer to the question as to what we believe concerning the Holy Spirit, we are told first that he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and equal to the Son. We dealt with the Trinity when we dealt with Lord's Day 8. And so this afternoon we are not going to deal with the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And that is not really the point of this Lord's Day either. The point in Lord's Day 20 is that the Holy Spirit, together with the Father and the Son, is true and eternal God. In other words, you cannot separate the work of the Holy Spirit from the work of the Father or from the work of the Son. They work hand in hand. They work together. In telling us why the Holy Spirit is given to us, the Catechism tells us that he is given to us to make us share in Christ and all his benefits. 
And once you realize what a great gift that is, and what a great miracle that is, and then you cannot help but also to show the work of the Holy Spirit in your life in every way. And then you will want to come to a testimonial. But what kind of testimonial? Is that the same for everybody? And so this afternoon we will look at the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. The theme is as follows. The Holy Spirit makes us living members of Christ. And then we will first look at the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, the testimony through the Holy Spirit. Let me state that once again. The theme is, the Holy Spirit makes us living members of Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit and then the testimony through the Holy Spirit. The second part of this Lord's Day states that the Holy Spirit is also given to me. It is a personal confession. The Holy Spirit is not just given to others, but also to me personally. For you receive the Holy Spirit when you are a child of God. That's also in accordance with what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. However, when did Christ give the Holy Spirit to me? Did he give it to me at the time of my birth or at the time of my baptism? Or give it, did he give it to me at some time when he was growing up or when I came to faith? When? We read, we read together from 1 Corinthians 7. And in verse 14 it says that our children are holy by virtue of the believing parent. Holiness, brothers and sisters, can only be given to you by the Holy Spirit. For that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is why we have the heading above this Lord's Day in this new section of the Heidelberg Catechism, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. Sanctification and the state of holiness refer to the same thing. The word sanctification comes from the Latin language and the word holiness from the German group of languages. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us holy, who sanctifies us. And so our children, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, are made holy through the believing parents. In other words, the parents are instruments in God's hand to bring about such holiness in our children. Now, what does it mean that they are holy? Does that mean that they are automatically saved? No, brothers and sisters. No, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls. It does not mean that. Typically, the word holiness refers to the fact that you are separated from the world and dedicated to God. That's God's doing. But you also have to respond to that. The fact that you are holy through the parent does not mean that now you are automatically one of God's elects. That is obvious from the context in which this passage of 1 Corinthians 7 is given. It says that the unbelieving husband also has been sanctified through the believing wife. It is clear, however, that an unbelieving husband cannot 
and will not be saved. Not as long as he remains an unbeliever. He has to become a believer. An unbeliever cannot be saved. And the same thing is true of our children. They too must become believers. To Paul, it is crystal clear that children are to be considered holy, however. And Paul is making his argument from the Old Testament perspective. No one would dispute the fact that children in the Old Testament were included as members of the covenant. Scriptures are quite clear on that. Even those who believe in adult baptism only will not deny that fact. Since they are members of the covenant, they also receive the sign and the seal of the covenant. Well, says Paul, the same thing is true here. Children are sanctified. They are holy. That's a given. They are holy by virtue of the fact that they are born as children of a believing parent. But now, since children are sanctified through the believing mother, the same thing is true for the unbelieving husband. The same principle is at work here. How so? Well, in the Old Testament, the whole household had to be circumcised, including the servants. They were all included as part of God's covenant people. They, of course, also had to believe. You would not include someone in your household who would serve the idols of the world. Servants in a household became part of the family and also were given the duty to teach the children of the household. Disobedience to the covenant obligations would not be tolerated from anyone within that household, including the servants. That is clear from Leviticus 24, where the son of an Israelite mother had an Egyptian father who blasphemed God's name with a curse. And this young man was put to death. It says in Leviticus 24, verse 16, Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or native-born. When he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. You see, this young man had been brought up in a believing household. He had been taught by his mother about God. He has been taught about his will. But in spite of that, he rejected God. And the Lord God does not leave that unpunished. And now, Paul uses that Old Testament principle of the covenant in the New Testament situation. Paul says, the children of believers are made clean. They are holy, even if only one of the parents is a believer. The Holy Spirit who works through that one parent accomplishes that. He purifies you. He sets you apart. He puts God's word into your hearts. Think about it, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. The children receive the sign and the seal of the covenant through baptism right after they are born. And do you know what promise is given to them, to our children? The promise is given that the Holy Spirit will dwell in them and make them living members of Christ, imparting to them what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from their sins and the daily renewal of our lives. It's a promise. 
And parents, when they bring their children to the baptismal font, confess that even though the children are subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, that they are sanctified, made holy in Christ. Believing parents do not give birth to heathen children. And by virtue of the covenant, they belong to Christ. They are God's children. They are Christians. Think about what happens in a Christian home. As soon as little children start moving about in the home, we start teaching them proper behavior. Don't touch. Don't throw a temper tantrum. Share with your brother and your sister. Respect your father and your mother. And as soon as they are able to understand, we tell them that they must conduct themselves in a proper manner. And we tell them that they must do these things because they are children of God. Because the Lord is also watching them. And as soon as they are able to utter a few words, we teach them to pray at the table. We also teach them to ask for the forgiveness of their sins. In this way, we teach them about their relationship with the Lord their God. And the more they are able to understand, the greater responsibility we give to them with regard to their relationship and the Lord. They are taught from the cradle that they are children of God and that therefore they have to learn to deny the sinful flesh and to put on the spiritual nature which is given to them through the Holy Spirit. For you see, in teaching our children, in bringing them up, the parents are instruments of the Holy Spirit. It is through the parents, therefore, that the children are sanctified, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 14, that they are made holy. And that is why, as parents, you have such a great responsibility over against the Lord in the bringing up of your children. For how does the Holy Spirit work? The Holy Spirit works together with the Word. You cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Word. And who is the Word? The Word is none other than Christ himself. He is the Word become flesh. And after his death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven. And he gave us his Word together with the Holy Spirit. That does not mean that the Holy Spirit does not work outside of the Word as well, of course. But the primary means of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God, is the Bible. That's his main tool. And we have God's Word in the Bible. Boys and girls, I hope you're listening to this as well this afternoon. Do you know how wonderful it is that God has made you part of a Christian household? that he have given you parents who love the Lord? For what do your parents do? Well, your parents teach you about God, don't they? They teach you about God, how you relate to him. They teach you how to have a wonderful life where God is in the center. And they teach you to avoid harm. Do you know who wants to harm you? hurt you, 
Satan wants to hurt you. Satan wants you to do all the wrong things. He wants you, for example, to disobey your parents. He wants you to do whatever you feel like doing. He likes it when you hurt other people. He likes it when you're mean to your friends. He likes it when you're a bully. He likes you when you steal things from others or when you are jealous. He also wants you to harm your bodies. And so he wants you to do drugs. He wants you to have sex outside of marriage. He whispers in your ear that all those things will make you feel good. But do you know what the reality is, boys and girls? Well, those kinds of things are going to hurt you deeply. They are especially going to hurt you in your relationship with the Lord. And also in your relationship with your parents, with your friends, and with your relatives, with all those who want to do the right thing. Satan especially wants to take you away from the Lord, your God. And now the Lord God has given you parents to avoid that kind of harm. Of course, we live in a sinful world, and harmful things happen to us. We can even get killed in a car accident, for example, or receive a severe illness, or other people may hurt you by the words they say and the things they do. But even with all these harmful things happening to you, the Lord will always protect you. Satan can never claim you because you belong to the Lord. And you will be with the Lord forever and ever, as long as you also want to be with the Lord. For you see, because of the promises of the covenant, we may also be sure that children who die in infancy will be saved. The Lord Jesus welcomes the little children as part of his kingdom. He loves them. He loves you, and he wants the best for you. Listen to what he says in Matthew 18 about the children. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Matthew 18, the verses 3 through 5. See how much he loves children? For little children are part of his kingdom, and you do not have to doubt that. That's also what we confess in the Canons of Dort, chapter 1, article 17, where we read, Therefore God-fearing parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children, whom God calls out of this life in their infancy. We may have our questions about this and wonder how even a little baby who has never been able to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit through the parents could be saved. But that's what God promises. He says the promise is to you and to your children, and he keeps his promises. And what is that wonderful promise? It is the promise of the forgiveness of sins and the life eternal. It is the promise of salvation. And that's what the Heidelberg Catechism is speaking about when it says that it makes me, by true faith, 
share in Christ and all his benefits. And these benefits are clear from the passage we read in Romans 8. In the chapter just before that, in the last verse, Paul laments the fact that he is such a sinful person. He says earlier in that chapter, even though he has his mind set on doing the law of God, he finds that he is unable. He says, wretched man that I am, the very thing that I want to do, I do not do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And then he ends that chapter by saying that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. In other words, he continually wants to do the right thing, but he finds himself to be incapable. But then he comes with a cry of triumph in chapter 8. He says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, don't we have a wonderful and awesome God? What an enormous comfort there is in these words. Doesn't God's mercy and kindness and compassion and greatness move you? At least that's what it ought to do. That's what God requires from you. He also wants a testimony from you. And that brings us to the second point. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 15 that you receive the spirit of sonship. And that by that spirit, namely the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Of course, anybody can name, can take the name Father on their lips. Also unbelievers. But that's not what Paul means. Paul is referring here to the intimate relationship between a father and his child. And that is what is expressed when you say, Abba, Father, when you say that in trust, because you trust that's the kind of relationship you have with him. In this life, we have only one earthly father or one earthly mother. We do not call anybody else our father or our mother. When we use that name, we at the same time express the close bond that there is between parents and children. Well, that is also what we do when we call upon our Father in heaven. Then we express our closeness to him. Then we highlight the wonderful relationship we have with God in heaven. It is only through God, the Holy Spirit, that such, a, that such a relationship can be expressed. For the Holy Spirit applies to us the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his holy obedience that we can be called children of God and that we can also call God our Father in heaven. Little children often brag about their parents how big and how strong their daddy is and how smart he is. And they also brag about their mother, what a wonderful woman she is. When children get a little older, that wears off. For they will then also see their weaknesses and limitations. But there is no weakness, there are no limitations with your Father in heaven. And so you and I, through the Holy Spirit, must also, so to speak, 
brag about our Father in heaven. And you have to do that whenever the opportunity arises. When your co-worker, for example, speaks to you about the beauty of creation, then you can rightly attest to the fact that your Father in heaven is the one who made it all. There you have an opportunity to speak about it, to speak what's in your heart. Indeed, your testimony about being a child of God or being part of his creation should always sound forth from your lips. You should always be ready to make a testimony about God. Let me ask you, do the people with whom you come into regular contact, do they know that the Holy Spirit is within you? That you are a Christian? Do you look for opportunities to speak to them about what lives in you? Paul says in Romans 8 verse 5 that those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what that Spirit desires. When you are in love with someone, then you set your mind on the things that he or she desires. Then you think about your loved one, especially when you're first in love. You think about your loved one and what gives him or her joy. And then you do your best to please him or her. That's what your mind is set on. You think about it all the time. Parents do that with their children. And they provide for their needs and they think about how to bring them up, how to provide for them spiritually and physically. They think all the time about how they can fulfill their children so that they also can learn to love, to love God and to love others. Proud parents also like to show pictures of their children to others and to tell them about all the things that they have accomplished. Well, did you know that that is what God does with us? He loves us. And he shows that in so many wonderful and different ways. And therefore, he wants you to do the same with regard to him. He wants you to brag about him to others. And to tell others how he is involved in your life. However, to speak about these things is not the only way to testify about, to testify about your Father in heaven. Your whole life must be a testimony to him. For words can also be cheap. For he does not just want your words, he wants your deeds as well. Your words and your deeds, they must go together. He wants you to show in his life, in your life, that you are a child of his. And that you are proud to be a child of his. You're not ashamed of his name, are you? The thing is, though, not everybody is the same. Some people do not easily speak about what lives inside of them. Some husbands or wives, for example, will not easily speak about their love for their partner. They haven't really learned how, or they don't know how to do it. They can't speak even about their love or not very easily to their children. But does that mean that they do not love them? And their marriage partner and their children, they will know in every fiber of their body that that parent does love them, for they show it especially in their actions. A husband who truly loves his wife 
will show that in the way that he conducts himself. He will be faithful to her. He will serve her. He will show her kindnesses. And he will instruct her. The same thing is true of a wife who loves her husband. That does not mean that they should not speak about it as well. But with some people, such words may be few. They show more by their actions than their words. And if you truly love your children, then you also show that in the way you serve them, in the way you instruct them, also in the way that you admonish them and discipline and discipline them. Those are all acts of love. It's also the way it is with us as Christians. It is true that not everybody is as able to speak about what lives inside of them as others. They may not speak so easily about all the things that the Lord God has done for them. They either can't just find the words or they are too shy. That doesn't mean, of course, that they should not speak about it. Oh, yes. But just because they show their love more through the actions than through their words does not mean that they don't love the Lord their God. They show their love in the way that they do, for example, by being faithful in their church going, by coming to church every Sunday, twice even, by being involved in church life, by showing kindnesses to their neighbors. And then when the opportunity arises, they also tell them that they are Christians and that that is why they do these things. That makes an enormous impact on others. That is why we should be drawing people in through you, through the members. If you truly love the Lord, then you also live in accordance with the fruit of the Spirit. Then you are kind and patient and full of love. Such words and actions, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, are the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. The Catechism says that he is given to me to remain with me forever. Wonderful. When you have been brought up in a Christian home, when you have been brought to church since your youth, and taught in a Christian school, and given catechism instruction, and then the words of the Holy Spirit will take root in your heart. And if then you live in accordance with those words of the Holy Spirit, then throughout your life you may be assured that you are indeed one of God's children, even during times of darkness. Sometimes we go through periods in our lives where God is all but absent from us, or at least so it appears. That's what happened, for example, during a time of the life of David. He sinned against God with his sin against Bathsheba. For quite some time, David felt that God, the Holy Spirit, had been removed from him. He also sings about that in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. But God kept tugging at his heartstrings. And through Nathan the prophet, he brought him back into the sheepfold. He brought him back into a relationship with him. God's Holy Spirit did not leave him. And what a child of God David was and is. And that's also what we pray for as we pray for our children, for those who are in danger of losing their salvation. That they do not 
reject that work of the Holy Spirit that was begun in them already when they were a child. They have to respond to what the Holy Spirit has done to them. And if they don't, they will indeed lose that sanctification. They will lose the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, you have hope. Because they have been sanctified through the parents. They have been brought up in Christian homes. But for us who try to live in accordance with the Holy Spirit, God promises that he will be with you forever. His own words will continue to live in our hearts and in our minds. And they will instruct us and encourage us and comfort us as we make our way through life. And then with our whole lives, we will be a testimony of God's work in us and through us. What a wonderful gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. There is no end to the riches that we receive through him into eternity. Amen.